I'm mentioning the thing which I've said in broad terms that we will be taking as contact. Uh, we said during the medium term budget policy statement that there are a lot of variables that we must take into account when you take that debt, which will influence even the counter. Among those variables is what NERSA is going to announce today. When NERSA announced the tariff, it will then explain to us ESCOM's uh, cash flows moving forward and what are the implications. And then that will explain also the quantum of the debt we're going to take. And then I'll answer your question directly on the 22nd of February. Uh, William Horton from Media24, uh, also to the Minister of Finance. Uh, my questions, I just want to quote you. You said you can, uh, you can have the best policy on paper, but if you don't have electricity, it is useless. I'd like to ask how you are going to explain the electricity crisis in Davos, and if you're going to create an expectation that it can be solved in the short term. Let's um, just say, in terms of key messages, um, one, um, I think one would not be very um, protective to say we're not the only country facing energy crisis. That's the first thing. When you look at what is happening in the European space, with the gas being terminated and all those things, there are challenges. You look at what is happening in London currently in terms of the energy supply and all others and cost of living. So that being said, in the South African context, we do have a challenge of energy supply, but you look at quarter three report results, our economy has been resilient, and I think that's what Adrian was trying to say. Despite us experiencing those challenges, we still saw our economy being able to show positive going back to pre-pandemic levels. What the story we are hearing in South Africa, that's what I spoke about, the National Energy Action Plan. Where we're talking about, because the president announced that we're going to deal with energy issues. One, firstly, it was at the time he announced, we're going to stabilize and ensure that there's leadership at ESCOM. We've got a board, we've appointed a board. The second issue is to ensure that the supply will do away with um, load sharing, meaning looking into the plants currently so that they can perform to their optimum and give us energy. We're going to look into ensuring that we expand in terms of the work that we're doing on new generation capacity. Uh, we also removed the barriers or the regulations around embedded generation. We've done that as committed in government. And you understand that in terms of generation, there's long term, it's 18 to 24 months in terms of implementation planning and all that. And that's why the big windows as well have been fast-tracked so that we can be able to start ensuring that that generation comes through faster. So what, that's why we have to balance in terms of the demand currently, um, demand supply currently. We've got to make sure that into the future we do generation capacity and then the issue of transmission where we also talk about the issues of building transmission lines because you'd see that in when you look into Northern Cape, for example, the number of areas that we've been able to build, uh, start our renewable projects, we have to connect them to the grid. And quite a number of other options have been looked into, emergency procurement issues that have been talked about, but also are we able to also ensure within that embedded generation, 
how can we ensure, ensure the regulatory reforms that can give us, for example, municipalities being able to procure from IPPs and all those things. So that is a holistic message that we're carrying around energy supply. Uh, supply. We are saying it's not immediate, but we can be able to finish everything and solve everything, but we're working and that's the plan that we have. <laughs> because they know, for example, that we've had the fastest introduction of renewable resources of any country in the developing world uh, in recent years in response to the crisis. So we have a problem of energy supply in South Africa, but we're not sitting on our laurels observing the problem. We are taking measures to address it. And this is what we will convey. And I think we should do so in crisp, clear terms and not appear defensive by any means. We have a problem, but we're not sitting. We're addressing it. And there are a number of steps we've taken, which I think are very important. Firstly, I've referred introduction of renewable energies, massive wind and solar. Uh, I hope uh, we will expand nuclear, because I think it's also important. Very costly, but there are new technologies that we could look at. We're innovating in the hydrogen uh, space. We've developed fuel cells in South Africa, platinum an important catalyst to that. So those are some of the innovative aspects. Then we are looking at repurposing under the Just Energy Transition Plan uh, some of the older uh, uh, power stations and converting them to more, uh, less combust uh, 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 you know, uh, combustion uh, 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 resources. Um, so there's so many steps that we're taking. Um, we've uh, diversified the structure of uh, ESCOM in order to make it more efficient and responsive. Uh, we've got to look at uh, the transmission lines so that uh, we're able to get more renewable uh, uh, resources connected. So all of this uh, are the strategies that are being adopted. But we have a very serious problem. <laughs> and uh, we, we will address it, and it's not going to be addressed tomorrow, but it is being addressed, and we will solve this problem. Just as California did, we are going to solve it. And that is the attitude we should have. That is what we will convey. Can I also add on this matter? My name is Noma Sangwa. I am the CEO of Exaro Resources. Just to remind you, Exaro Resources is not only known for its coal production, we are also known as a big player in renewable energy generation in the country. So if we allow, as we are in Davos, we allow government to speak alone, it will sound defensive. But if we're there as business speaking and testifying, firstly, as to how to succeed in doing business in this country, despite the energy constraints that we have. Because we do sit here in the art reporting very good results, having survived, and I think Adrian mentioned this, because we're so resilient. Really, our people in this country have been resilient to make sure that we do overcome some of these challenges. And therefore, you know, we need to really testify. And then in terms of renewable energy, if we talk to what Xara is doing as a producer of, of renewable energy. What is our growth strategy? How do we see ourselves supporting ESCO in terms of making sure that we feed more green electrons into the, into the grid? 
We will talk very specifically about projects of embedded energy, our own self-generation, what we're doing to expand beyond the capability that we have, even in Bumalang. So that story, I think that the minister is talking about, will be so much more of a reality. Thank you. May I take the next question? Good morning, ministers. Nadeli Mwabo, SABC News. My question is still with regards uh, to the green listing. Uh, we do understand that the South African delegation of this is going to be meeting uh, the FATF tomorrow in Morocco to discuss this matter. How confident are you about these engagements uh, as things stand? Do you think that South Africa has averted or will be able to avert any uh, repercussions that may come out of uh, this engagement? And if things should not go uh, your way or the way that you hoped, to what extent do you think it will affect the country's investment case going into doubles? Thank you, Mary. Can you move on? Before you answer, Minister, can I take your permission? Sorry, Sassy Scorsese from Bloomberg. Uh, Minister Pando, I didn't quite catch what you were saying about BRICS and applications from the countries. Um, I just wonder if you could speak to what South Africa's um, plans to do with its chairmanship this year um, in terms of building uh, up its foreign relations and whether the country is open to uh, pushing for the acceptance of the block. Thank you, sir. Good morning, Ministers. My name is Foskona Duma. I'm from IBDC's representative too. I just have a question based on what the Minister of Public Enterprise and the Public Board and said. As public, so I would expect that some delegates or people you meet in Davos will be asking this question. Um, so he said that ESCO um, basically needs more money to buy diesel in the interim, but that money is not being given. Um, how are you going to explain that as as as, uh, as part of the solution to address the crisis we're facing in the short term? But also, there's an issue of, um, he has also said that there's a refusal by the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy to grant a wholesaler license to ESCOM for to, uh, a wholesaler license uh, for diesel. And do you share these particular sentiments? Thank you, Mr. Father, for Okay. Okay. Start, I'll come to the license. Okay. Do you want to take the bricks? Let me. You'll take the. Well, what I was saying is that uh, I think there are significant opportunities for South Africa within the context of BRICS, given our close uh, alliance to particularly the large global economies, India. Uh, China and Brazil, I think there are opportunities that South African business could look into much more uh, closely than we have done up to this point. Brazil has often uh, spoken to us about their use of uh, green fuels, for example, which we've not done much work on uh, in South Africa. We could draw on that expertise as one of the areas of new growth for South Africa. China is a fantastic export opportunity for us. Uh, we have done a great deal with respect to mineral uh, resources as well as citrus and other food products. Recently, beef has been a big 
export outlay for uh, South Africa. So I'm saying use the BRICS friendship to really grow our business uh, platform and the relationship with significant global players. The second point is that uh, the world is changing in very worrying ways. The complexity introduced by the current very hostile, uh, difficult global environment means countries are searching for like-minded partners throughout the world. And many countries are finding that the approach of BRICS is one that they would like to be part of. The focus of BRICS, which is largely developmental, is a focus they would wish to become a party to. Hence, the significant number of countries that have approached the former chair, which was China, seeking membership of BRICS. We're not a member organization, we're a formation, but uh, the, we are now having to look at this very, very significant demand and interest in expansion. What we decided to do was to work on a set of criteria because we wouldn't want to so mix uh, the forum uh, that it begins to reflect you know, a set of values and principles which are not shared by the BRICS members. So we're developing a set of criteria against which we would measure and assess the uh, various uh, interested parties. And following that process, I believe that toward the end of South Africa's chairship, we will be able to indicate whether we expand and who uh, will become part of a BRICS plus or whatever uh, that formation might be. As to what we'll do this year, uh, gosh, we have already over 183 meetings registered. Uh, the BRICS family is a very active one. Uh, we're active with women in business, we have the Business Council, we have think tanks from all the BRICS member states, we have an academics forum, we have a number of research initiatives in water, hydrogen, astronomy sciences, a whole range of uh, activities form part of the year in which uh, it, either of the uh, countries chair breaks. Our focus will be increasing economic uh, partnership in a post-COVID context and looking in particular to the African continent as an area of interest for the BRICS family. There are two aspects to the grey listing part. Uh, I can't remember the abbreviation. I don't want to use it. I, I missed. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mike is reviving the task force. Yeah. There are two aspects to the to their report. The first one is a regulatory framework, which is supportive of money laundering and anti terrorist funding. The regulatory framework was criticized as being weak. There's a second part to it, which is about 40 sort of action items we need to do. On the regulatory part, we've done quite an impressive thing with the support of Parliament, processed a couple of legislation very quickly, um, 
when we signed last week, they were published regulation this time. So on the regulatory front, we can tick the box. We can tick the box. What we need to do, convincing, is on the action side. Uh, there's some work which has been done. If you look at the report submitted to Parliament by, by the President, also list a lot of action where, of actions that have been done. As we speak now, we have about 51 government officials from all the various departments that are affected, which is NPD, justice, police, and so on and so on, at attending uh, the meeting in Morocco. It's a presentation which we are making, quite an impressive presentation. Um, then in February uh, 23rd, 25th, the officials will attend again the FATF meeting, which is the final meeting to make the decision. I am hopeful that the work that we've done and the report that was submitted to them we will be convincing. I'm saying I'm hoping, I'm not saying it will work. I'm hoping it will be convincing. But if it's not, um, with a couple of countries who have gone through it, uh, want to learn from that experience and came out of it fairly quickly. One of them is our neighbor, Mauritius. So we're beginning to look at experiences, but we hope at the moment with the amount of work that we've done in response to the report, uh, we're hoping for a positive outcome. Thanks, Pastor. Just to add a little bit to the FATF environment, um, many of you may have heard me talk before to think of anti-money laundering as a bit like a relay race. First and foremost, you need the rules of the race, and our rules were not up to global standards, and those rules have now found their way through Parliament, so I think we can give ourselves a tick there. Then you have to look at at least four runners in the race. The first runner was largely the financial services sector, our job to know and understand our customers, and if we see either suspicious transactions or cash transactions over a certain amount, to extract them from our systems and report them to the FEC or the Financial Intelligence Center. Our job isn't to go and prosecute people. We, we can't do that. We have to report suspicious transactions. The Financial Intelligence Center's job is to then join the dots, determine if those transactions that a bank thinks is suspicious actually yeah, are something that needs investigation. Hand them over to the third runner, which is the investigating authorities, who then determine, do we really have a case here? Hand them over to the prosecuting authorities. And I think if you look at South Africa, broadly speaking, having fixed the rules, we're in pretty reasonable shape in the first two runners, being reporting transactions, and fixing the rules brings in a whole bunch of other people other than financial institutions, you know, lawyers, estate agents, crypto providers all now have to report. The difficulty we've had, and I think the difficulty we may have with FATF, is that we know our investigating and prosecuting authorities were deliberately kind of kneecapped in the state capture environment. And we have made recent progress, but, but I think that's kind of where our larger challenge may, may sit, not in the front end. So if we do end up being grey-listed, I think, you know, it's probably better to be a better outcome economically if 
if you're not graylisted as a result of the front end, it's more things that people know take longer to fix, like prosecuting authorities uh, and, and, um, and, and the like. And certainly our engagement as a bank with all of our large correspondent banks globally, they are certainly happy with the AML environment in financial services. And they would look at individual correspondent banks you know, very, very detailed, as well as the country assessment. So I, I remain by my previous statements that, that this is, this. if it does happen, and we hope it doesn't, it isn't as problematic as downgrades, etc. Maybe for myself just to indicate, I think the issue for divorce and a message, it has nothing to do with whether we get energy from diesel to what? The one that has to power the country. So that nitty-gritty can be sorted out between ministries, between, I don't think it should be the focus of our discussion and deliberation going to divorce now. So I think we can pack that one for me um, so that it's, it's, it does not contaminate the environment. What we are talking about on energy is a message in terms of national action plan. These are the things that we're going to do and all those things. The line ministers um, can deal with and the issue of your petroleum licenses and all those things, which I think they've already done. Because otherwise then we tend to sway into now focusing on ourselves more in what we can rather than understanding that we've got global partners and global investors that are looking for a message from Team South Africa. Thanks. Thanks, Minister Babai. May I now take the last round of questions because we're gonna be closing in the next few minutes. Well, I hope the colleagues uh, will tell the world that South Africa is now producing vaccines, uh, that they'll tell the world that South Africa hosts the largest radio telescope in the world, the square kilometer array, uh, that they will tell the world that South Africa is a country intent on succeeding and that South Africa has brilliant young people who are gonna do very, very well and that Batu Shoes, which is absolutely a fantastic sneaker, is gonna be world class and is loved by all young people. I hope out of what we convey, we do have some stories about our country that show the positive of South Africa without hiding the ugly. Thank you very much. The perception of crime and safety in SA on that graph presented earlier, uh, those unfamiliar with SA was a 2.51. That was the lowest rated metric on that graph. I just want to know what is the strategy for the key messaging around this? Around what? Crime. Crime and crime. Well, uh, well, one of the things, I'm sure Minister will, mm -hmm. is that. Uh, we're improving the training of our uh, police personnel and in addition have increased the number of personnel on the ground uh, in South Africa. So we are getting police out on the ground patrolling. Uh, we've also uh, increased uh, provision for the equipment uh, that the police need to have in order to be able to carry out <coughs> their job. So we're combating uh, this negative of crime. We also are involving uh, our communities. 
with Community Policing Fora, uh, of which I hope each of, one of you is a member or a neighborhood watch uh, in your neighborhood, because this is a battle that all of us need to fight together. Crime is a very serious problem. Gender-based violence is one of our worst features of our society. But all of us are taking steps to combat this. The men in our country are going to love us more. They'll be far kinder and will ensure that they do not use women as their uh, battering uh, uh, box. So uh, more police on the ground, boots on the ground, more community policing, greater community involvement, alertness, and teaching new values and principles in our society so that everyone knows that we should stop crime. Just to reinforce the, the emphasis we're doing, you would say that in the medium temperate political statement and in the budget speech in, in February, we put crime at the forefront of the priorities of this government. Among the other things to just add, we this year you must have seen there was 10,000 10, policemen that were, uh, were on parade. We have employed 10,000 of them this year. We'll include 5,000 next year and 5,000 the other year uh, in order to provide. In addition to that, we are providing resources to the entire uh, criminal justice cluster to assist with the prosecution, to assist with everything that's necessary for them to carry out their work in order to deal with crime. So resources are being provided. In so far as gender-based violence, we I'm talking to both my colleagues, uh, social development and police. To what extent can we help the police as well uh, to make sure that there are social workers in some of the, of the police stations to deal with this question. So it's a matter that crime is, in the, is our top priority in terms of uh, targets that we need to deal with. Thank you.